0: You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Three little words can change so many different things. And in your life and in my life, all of us can reflect on some three little words that we think about. If you're the first time you've ever expressed I love you to somebody and the depth of what that meant. Or maybe the first time someone looked at you and you could tell that they meant it when they looked at you and they said I love you and the commitment that that carries with it is so significant. Three little words can have an unbelievable impact and has had an unbelievable impact on all of us in this room. And yet I would argue Three little words, he is risen, has had the greatest impact. Because I don't know if you believe in that or not today, but if you do, listen, I, 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 I wanna welcome you to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but if you don't believe in that, I wanna welcome you and thank you for being with us. Because those three little words, he is risen, that the impossible has happened, have changed history. Everything is molded and shaped. Christianity would not exist without the resurrection. The fact that he is risen means that we can proclaim his awesomeness, trust in his goodness, believe in what he wants to do in our life. And this means that people of all different backgrounds, if I looked in this room and got a chance to hang out with each and every one of you, you have a different story, you have a different experience that you've gone through. And yet, for those of us who've made the decision and we believe that he is risen, We have something that binds us together. A belief that God left heaven, came on earth for us. And it's not just some small deal because Christians all throughout the world today in Africa and Asia and Latin America are proclaiming this truth that today he is risen In the Middle East, in Dubai in particular, they only allow Christians to celebrate Jesus publicly on Easter. And today, right now, Middle Eastern Christians are going and getting baptized, publicly declaring one truth, Jesus is risen. So three little words can have an unbelievable impact, can be so unbelievably significant. You know, we've been looking in these past couple of weeks at the fact that Jesus declared about himself that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. In the first week, we looked at the fact that Jesus is the way. We don't end our journey at finding Jesus because he's the way. Jesus says, I am the way. That means we start with Jesus. He's with us in the middle and we end with Jesus. He carries us through the whole process. He's the way. And then last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus is the truth. And this truth Is not just information. It's a person who wants to speak into our lives as a shepherd would guide his sheep. His truth wants to guide us and tell us how to live. And then today we get a chance to celebrate the fact that Jesus is the life and what this means for us and what this looks like. So let me start off with a very simple thought, ready? And it's just this. God's gifts are not too little. In fact, I would argue that God's gifts are better than we deserve. Think about one of the most precious or some of the most precious gifts you've ever received. The kind of gifts that you keep with you for years to come. When my wife and I were dating, and a lot of you know this, and if you don't, i let you know this. I love food, like deeply love food. My wife and I were dating, and her first gift to me when we were dating, uh, we had been dating for a little while, was a nice pot and pan set. Like that, was, I'm like, what is this big box? And I open it up, and it's pot and pans, and it had to do with, with food, and I was like, this is the one right here a gift that's precious. My kids, once they were born and they could start doing things, my daughter when she was younger would write these cards for my birthday and for Father's Day and I kept all of them and I have them tucked away somewhere. My my four-year-old son this last week came home from preschool beaming and he said, Daddy, I got you something. And I said, what? And he said, I wrote your name this week. And he handed me a piece of paper and he had written out what he thought was my name. And it spelled out Jello, which is really <laughs> offensive a little bit. I'm like, but he was so proud, he's like, Daddy, I wrote you, he, he could not have been more proud. And so I took the paper and I put it and it's in my nightstand right now. Here, here's the thing, some of the most important gifts you've ever had are personal, right? They're things, that are, they're, they're things that are unique to you or they're things that the giver, when they look at you, they know you better than sometimes you know yourself. And so you open it and you're like, oh, you're like, wow, it's pretty incredible. And so God's gifts, he's the life. He wants to give us life. God's gifts are better than we could imagine. The verse that all of us know, or at least if you don't know, it's the most well-known verse in the Bible. It's simply this, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. We can say that God is love and that's absolutely true. But we also can say this. If you're gonna look at what God did, he gave. And what did he give? He gave his only begotten son. And the thing about this that I find the most beautiful is this, is it's the most personal gift. It's personal. He didn't give Something abstract or distant. And sometimes, sometimes in life we can wander around feeling like we're not connected to anything. We can wander around feeling like what binds us to anything. We can wander around wondering what our, pers- what, what our purpose is or, or how to navigate through different things. And God's gift wasn't a message written in the sky. It, it wasn't just some supernatural act that just came and went. God's gift was ready a person. A, a person That is personal. And this person who was personal, the Bible then goes to tell us, which I think is amazing, is this this Jesus, who's God's gift, was the very one who actually created us. So, the one who fed the 5,000, and the one who walked on water, and the one who healed the blind and caused the lame to walk, that same Jesus who did all of those things also said, Let there be light. The Bible says that He's the visible image of an invisible God, and through Him all things were created. And when you were formed in your mother's womb, it was the voice of Jesus that formed it. The Bible says in Psalm 139, you are infinitely and beautifully and intricately woven together. And this Jesus isn't just some, it's not just distant, it's it's intimate and it's personal and it's close he's with us and he brings life. Let me give you another passage of scripture. Here's Jesus talking in John 10:10, 10, 10. ready? The thief comes only to steal to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, "But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly." Now, I'm going to explain so let me say this. I want you to see a pattern in how the enemy works. The enemy doesn't immediately go to destroy our life. That's not what the enemy does. The first thing the enemy always wants to do is actually to steal from us, to get us to not walk and have access to all the things that God wants us to have. He steals from us. And then he says he wants to kill us and then he destroys us. The enemy doesn't always just go in to destroy our life. He wants to destroy all of our lives, but he always starts with stealing first. And one of the ways that the enemy steals from us is to get us thinking about things that we think are gonna make us happy but only last for a moment and God knows don't last. They're temporary. And so the enemy gets us to think, if I can have, it's the if and when. If I could have this, or if and then, then I will be happy. If this would happen, then this could be the case. And so we chase after so many if these things would happen in our life, then we will be this. And it's a pattern that repeats itself over and over again. I'll, I'll, I'll say it, let me illustrate it with food. Because again, I love food. This right here is a Kit Kat bar. I believe these are made in heaven and found somewhere on earth, like manna happened to the Israelites. Kit-Kat bar. Now, if you've ever had a Kit-Kat bar, you know that they come, I'm just gonna set this right here for a second. If you ever have a Kit-Kat bar, you know that there's four of them put together. Now, I know you can get smaller ones, two, and then even in the little Easter eggs that you probably, there's one. But for this illustration, there's four. And the reason is because when you eat one little wafer, Mmm, mm. That is delicious. After you eat one little wafer, do you know what happens? Something inside of you says, I need another one. Mmm, oh. And then you're not fully satisfied yet because the second one was going, And then. Oh, man. And then, You realize it's delicious. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Here's what the enemy does for us, ready? The enemy steals from us by getting us to point our attention into things that don't matter in the long run. So think about this. He steals from us pursuing things that do matter. Let me put it to you another way, ready? Ready? we trade in what matters most for the things that we think matter now how many times have we given into what matters now and we've forsaken the things that matter most remember god came to give us life and jesus said this i've come to give you life and give you life abundantly so what's the disconnect because can we just get real for a second let's just not pretend i know it's easter sunday We look good this morning. We have family plans and we are celebrating the life of Jesus. But if God's gifts are so good, then how come there seems to be this massive distance between the gifts that he gives and where we find ourselves? Is God's gift not enough? Is God's gift not sufficient? And here's the conclusion that I've come to in my life. It's this. The issue is not God's giving. He gave us the best of what he has, of who he is. He gave his very life. I wonder if the disconnect between God's gifts and us experiencing life to the fullest have nothing to do with what God offers us, but has everything to do with how we ask and how we live and what we desire. That the issue is actually not God's giving, the issue actually might be our asking. And what prevents us from experiencing the fullness of life is actually things that we may have given ourselves over to. Entitlement. Listen, we live in a broken world. Can we just get real for a second? Let me tell you my life. I'm not gonna go into all the details. I've shared these stories separately in a lot of different messages. I have been through some stuff in my life. When I was a kid, I was abused pretty bad. I know what it's like to be very, very poor, to literally, I mean, have nothing. <laughs> Like, I remember getting my card declined at a Sonic drive-in. That's poor. Like, I couldn't even get a combo. I know what it's like to not know how I'm gonna feed my family. I know what it's like to have been sued. I, I, I won it. It was in Nicaragua. I won, the, I, I, I won it because I, I really didn't do anything wrong. But you still, there's an accusation of something and, and you have to defend yourself and that's not fun. So I've been, I've been, I've been threatened. People have literally hated me like to the core of their soul. I know what it's like to be in the darkest of places. And see, here's the thing. It's hard when you're in that space mentally and emotionally to look at a passage of scripture and be like, God, where's the life that you say is here? a year before Renovation Church launched. We launched in October of 2014. I was at the very darkest point of my life. I'm gonna bring you into it a little bit. And in that darkest point of my life, I was, to give you a frame of mind, I didn't wanna live anymore. And I don't say that lightly. I really didn't wanna live anymore. Because I know there's people in this room who have been to that place too. That's where I was. And to the core of my soul, in that dark place, I cried out and I said, God, where are you? Where are you? And it felt to me, and I know it's probably happened to you if you've ever been in the valley of the shadow of death, in moments where you feel like it's hopeless and difficult, God, where are you? And how come you haven't done this And I would argue with God at night and I would argue with God in the morning and I wasn't sleeping and I was exhausted and I saw no way of what the future could look like. I didn't understand it, I couldn't comprehend it. I was angry and I was frustrated and I was bitter and I was entitled. And I would argue with God. God, where are you? I don't understand. And and several times it got really, 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 really dark. And in that darkness, let me put it to you this way. I'll say this. There's a song in Spanish. There's a song I grew up singing, old school, Spanish churches. It's called No temas. No temas. Okay, anyway, all right. (laughs) Means don't fear. And basically it says this, when you're in the floods and you're in the fire, God is with you there. So here I am, I'm in this dark place. And in that dark place, I was frustrated and angry with God and I felt that God owed me And the one thing that changed it all was this. I went to the cross. And in the cross, I saw a God who was beaten, who was whipped, who was put nails into his hands and feet. And at that place, when I stared at what God did for me, all of my entitlement faded away. And that phrase that I've shared many times on a Sunday morning, if God doesn't do anything else for you, he's done more than you ever could deserve. And then God did something in that moment. Ready? I realized this. That song, No Temas, Yo Estoy Contigo, No Temas, Yo estoy contigo, no temas. This is what was happening. Ready? I was asking God to rescue me out of a bunch of things that I wouldn't want to be in. God, get me out of this, get me out of this. And when God didn't get me out of this, I thought somehow God failed. And what I failed to realize that I then realized is this I was asking God to get me out of something, but God was actually carrying me through it. He was sustaining me, He was giving me what I needed. Why? Because the God of the valley of the shadow of death doesn't leave your side, but he walks with you. Why? Because he's personal and he's close and he's not distant and he's there. And when I went to the cross and I saw my God at the cross, I said, there's nothing, what, what else could God do? Giving his life is the most that he could do. All of my entitlement faded away. All of my bitterness faded away. And here's what I realized, I was asking God for the wrong thing. No wonder God wasn't doing what I asked. And so instead I came to God and said, God, God, give me what I need. What the Bible says, ready, is the daily bread. And my asking had to change. And when I went to the cross and I saw that, this is the year before Renovation Church, God did an unbelievable work in my heart. And now that Renovation Church is eight years old and I look back at all that God has done, can I just tell you something? I'm overwhelmed by a God who doesn't get me out of things, but a God who carries me through them. Close and personal because he's a God of life. Now, before we get to Luke chapter 24, we're going to look at this in the ESV. You need to understand the disciples' mindset. Ready? They had left everything, their businesses, their jobs to follow Jesus because you know what they wanted? They wanted God to get them out of the Romans being over them. What they wanted was Jesus who fed the 5,000 and walked on water and Did all these miracles that he would go in and overthrow the Romans and set up a new kingdom on earth. That's what they hoped. That's what they wanted. That's why they followed him. They believed that he was the one who could do these things. And certainly their belief was backed up by the miracles that they had witnessed. And so they left everything to follow him. But what happens is, as they go to Jerusalem, the exact opposite of what they wanted to have happen happened. Jesus is crucified. And they and even though Jesus told them he was going to die, when he died, they scattered because they're like all the things that they had hoped that he would do, he didn't. And that's where we're going to dive into this story. Luke chapter twenty four, beginning in verse thirteen. We're going to start reading. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. But while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. How many times has God walked with us and we didn't see him in the moment, only to look back and say, God was with us every step of the way. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're you're holding with each other as you walk? they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, "Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these last days?" By the way, when Jesus asks a question, he's not getting information, He's getting us to think through things. He knows exactly what's going on. And he can seize the sad, he can see the sadness on their faces. Verse 19. And he said to them, "What things?" They said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. And then there's this phrase, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Do you hear the unbelievable brokenness we had hoped. How many of us in our life have uttered this phrase, but I had hoped? Because when we have an if and then philosophy, if these things are gonna happen in my life, then I'm gonna be happy. And so we constantly are like, God, you need to do these things, and we have these expectations for how we think things should go, and then life doesn't go the way we think it should go. We get curveballs, and things don't always have happy endings. Things can be very painful and very difficult. And here these two followers of Jesus are and they had put all of their chips into the basket that Jesus would overthrow the Romans, establish an earthly kingdom and be able to rule. They believed that they hoped that they did it so much that they literally left everything to follow him. And instead of doing what they believed he would do, he did something very different. He died. And all of their hopes in his death were crushed and they scattered in the wind. And their hearts were broken. And if the story ended there, it would be sad. But God's gifts are better than we could possibly imagine. Because while they are discouraged in thinking that somehow Jesus was not enough, Jesus himself was walking beside them and had done greater things than they could see in the moment. Because instead of Jesus wanting to establish an earthly kingdom in a moment, in a blip of history, what Jesus did was actually rise again from the dead to establish kingdoms where in our hearts And now, 2,000 years later, again, Christians throughout the entire world can celebrate God redeeming them from the inside out. Because what Jesus did wasn't a momentary thing. It wasn't something to just get them out of something that they were frustrated with. They had the wrong ask. They asked Jesus to do something so small, and yet God's gifts are better than we can deserve. And I wonder how many times we miss what God wants to do in our life, not because God isn't a good giver, but because we're bad askers, because we miss it, because we don't see the depths of what God wants to do. So here Jesus is walking beside them, and they're discouraged, and yet they can't see him, but we had hoped that he would do something. And yet today, we as Christians, we have what they didn't have right there in the moment, We can look back and we can declare these three little words. Ready? But he is risen. And they couldn't understand it. Now they will. And when they understand the gravity of it, all of them are changed. And those same men, those same followers of Christ who scattered at the cross, guess what? Once they saw the resurrected Jesus, their life was so transformed that they ended up giving their lives for the sake of a gospel that they couldn't ignore. Christianity is not founded on teachings. It's found on an event in history that his followers said, we can never ignore this for the rest of our lives. And then those followers took that message and it spread. But here's what Jesus' resurrection means for us. They wanted a temporary solution, but God wanted to offer an eternal one. So what can we ask for? We can ask God for a lot of things. Let me give you three real quick. We can ask God for forgiveness. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Can I just tell you something? If you, a lot of us grew up in the church. Who grew up in the church? Anybody? Anybody? a lot of us, right? The majority of us. Sometimes when you grow up with something, can we just be honest for a second? You get used to having it. You get comfortable with having it. We don't understand the depths of what God forgiving us means. When I grew up overseas, I told this before, when I grew up overseas, there was one soda you could not get in South America that you could get in the States and it was Dr. Pepper. The most delicious thing. There's a river of God in heaven and then next to it's a river of Dr. Pepper and they flow. The tree of life is somewhere in there as well. I think that's in scripture in the New Jeremy translation part. So I grew up overseas and you can't have Dr. Pepper. So whenever I come back to the States, I would drink insane amounts of it. But I remember when, we moved, when I moved back to the States and I was no longer there for in the States for a period of time, but I was living here. I had so much Dr. Pepper, and here's what happened, ready? I had so much Dr. Pepper that after a while, I said, I'm good now. I need to switch to something else because I got so used to it because it was so readily available. Do you know what my concern is? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. I'm concerned that we take that too lightly because we just have it. God forgiving us of our sins is not permission to sin, by the way. But think about this. The grace of God, what it cost him was his life so that when anybody confesses anything, Jesus says, you are forgiven. You take the sin and God says, it's covered by the blood of the lamb. This is a God Who is good, whose gifts are better than we deserve. And I know in this room there's guilt. I know there's shame. I know that there's, listen, the feeling of my life has been so messed up that I could never see a future with it. Guess what? The forgiveness of God is for everybody and can set right every life that has been broken. Because God's gifts are not too little, they are better than we deserve. And in order to engage with what God wants to do, we have to ask for the right things. May all of us in this room today, whether we've been a Christian for 40 years or you're not even a Christian, you come and you ask for forgiveness, the throne of God says you are set free and made new. And no longer do I look at the wrong that you've done, I see a forgiven person. You tell me how good God's gifts are. We can ask for forgiveness. Here's another one, ready? We can ask God to lead us. We can ask God to lead us. Let me give you the third one real quick too. We can ask God for eternity. We can ask God for eternity. There's a tradition in the ancient world that if you were gonna go and participate in a feast of some kind, that when you would go to the feast, Sometimes you would travel for a long period of time to get there, like days, weeks, because traveling in the ancient world, I know we complain about airplane flights. I went to Saudi Arabia in January. The one flight back was 15 hours, and it's a long flight. We complain about that. If you went from Saudi Arabia back to the States in the 1800s, good luck. So I'll take 15 hours. So in the ancient world, people would travel for a long period of time to get to their destination. So when they would have a feast, what they would do is sometimes it would last for hours and in that feast that would last for hours, you would sit down at a meal and it would be this beautiful meal that you would eat. But sometimes in the middle of the length of that feast, you would be eating, you'd have to get up and maybe attend to business or go do something. And so you'd have your napkin and tradition would say this, you would get up and if you knew you were coming back because you weren't finished with the feast, You wouldn't bundle up your napkin and throw it on the plate. If you did that, then that meant that you were not coming back. But in the ancient world, in order to be able to tell people, hey, listen, I'm not finished, I'm still engaged with this, you would get up, you would fold your napkin gently down like this, and you would place it by your side. You would get up, you would attend to your business, but the people would know this person is not finished. They're coming back. They have more to do. They have more to fellowship. They have more to eat. Glory to God. It's a meal. A lot of my illustrations are food related. Anyway, way too many, I think. The Nakin would fold. I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you that maybe you've never seen. It's in the resurrection. In John chapter 20, and it is a beautiful passage. The day that the disciples hear this crazy news that, wait a second, Jesus is not, he's not dead. that the the ladies went and visited the tomb and the craziest of news, he's alive, that's real. They're blown away by this. And then in John chapter 20, verse six says this, then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, the one that had covered the face of Jesus, which had been on Jesus's head. This is John chapter 20, was not lying. Head cloth, which was folded up beside it, is a symbol that tells you and I today, listen, I am not finished. I am still got work to do. I still have people to lead. I still have lives to redeem. I still have stories to change. I am not finished. That rising from the dead was the act of transforming us and setting us free, but then in our freedom, we can walk with our creator and we can know him because he's not finished with our lives yet. So when we ask for the right things, that God can forgive us, we can ask God to lead us, and we can ask God for eternity, that's when God does his best. The worship team's gonna come on stage now. I'm gonna wrap up with this story. When you see this gospel message impact somebody's life, so this is a story that I've shared in the past. So If you've been here for a while Renovation, you've heard this story before, but there's a lot of people who haven't. When I started a ministry 20 years ago, the church that I was working for couldn't pay me, which is church world, right? So I was a volunteer person in the church. And in order to be able to work for the church, I had to have other jobs while I was doing that. And so one of the jobs I had was to work for a shoe store. And in that shoe store, there was a young lady and who didn't believe in God and was angry with God. And she found out that I worked at a church So every day when she would come into work, she would debate me about God, like every day. And she had grown up in a horrific childhood situation, like just broken. So I understood. And I got it. So we debated all the time. We actually became friends. (laughs) The more frustrated she was with me. And then I found out one time that she had taken a lot of pills to try and end her life. And so I called an ambulance on her. She was not happy about that. She came in and confessed that. I called an ambulance. Just want to make sure she was okay. Just ups and down. She confessed that she wrestled with cutting herself. She didn't cut her wrist because she didn't want anyone to see it, so she would cut her stomach. I'm talking about someone who was angry with God. She would cut right here. And then as I got to know her life more and more, her and her boyfriend, they'd been dating for like six years. She got pregnant. She had a, she had a little boy. Six months after his birth, she comes into, she comes into work and she's just weeping. She goes, I can't work today because my son died. And I was just like, oh my goodness. I was like, take off all the time you need. And I said, can I pray with you? And, and she said, sure, fine, whatever. So I prayed with her. And then a couple of months after that situation, she calls me, she says, I can't come to work again. I said, why? She goes, my boyfriend slash the guy, who I was gonna, they've been together forever he died in a car accident. So in the spirit of six months, she lost her baby boy and she lost her basically husband. So she came into work to pick up her check and I see her and I get out a Bible that I had been holding for her as a message version of the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. And the message is a paraphrase, but I thought this would be something that maybe she could use. And so I just gave it to her and she says, I need some extended time off. I said, sure, that's fine. So she leaves And then like two weeks later, a week and a half later, she comes back to work and she's smiling. And I'm like, what is happening here? This feels like a setup. And she goes, I have to tell you what happened. She goes, when I left, I left to go to Florida to take my life because I couldn't live it anymore. And I got to the hotel room and I unpacked my bags. And when I unpacked my bags, that stupid Bible that she gave me fell out. And she said to God, God, I'm gonna give you one last chance. If you're real and if you're good, you're gonna meet me here. And she opens up the Bible to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five is the Sermon on the Mount. And on Matthew chapter five in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But in Matthew 5, three, the message version, it says this, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. And she's in her hotel room. She's gonna take her life. And she reads those words. And God's presence just descends on her. And she goes, when I read those words, she goes, I began weeping and I invited God into my life and you have no idea what that has done to my heart in this last week and a half. She gave her life to Christ. She, I, was, I got the privilege of baptizing her because God forgives and God sets right and he walks with us and he cares about our life. I'm gonna invite you to stand. The reason why God gave us a gift that is so personal is because he doesn't just walk with us when things are good or when things are easy. He's with us when things are hard. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And when we look at Easter in particular, when we can celebrate the fact that he has risen, do you know what that means? That means that Jesus went into the heart of the darkness and he snatched the keys of death And he declared that nobody, nobody will be bound by death anymore, that no one will be bound by sin, that nobody will be bound by destruction. And that anybody who doesn't see a way through or out can declare my name to redeem back the sin and the brokenness in the world. And that there can be hope and that the way that the disciples felt, but we had hoped that that would transform into we hope. We hope because he is risen. We hope because he is good. We hope because what he has done for us in the past means that we can trust him in our present and we can believe for him in our future. And we as Christians here and throughout the world, we are not hopeless. We are hope filled because the name of Jesus has conquered death. Why? Because he is risen and he is good. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.